Resurrection Sunday is literally, in my opinion, the most important Sunday of our calendar. Why? Because today is the day our Savior, our King, our Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. Do you know what that means? Do you know the implication of that? It means that if there is an ultimate enemy, if there is, if you play video games in this place, if there is a final boss, all right? If you watch movies, at the end, at the last 10 minutes, there's always a final enemy, right? If the final enemy is death, if we cannot conquer death, right, as human beings, today, Jesus Christ, our God, conquered death. Conquered death. Death or death, where is your sting? No more do we fear death. No, and now forevermore we have everlasting life because of Resurrection Sunday. Because our God, our Savior, walked out from that tomb and He says, oh, I'm going to give the power of resurrection to every single person who believes in me. Amen? Amen, church? Hallelujah. You know, church, today, uh, 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 the sermon is entitled, From Darkness into Light. From darkness into light. And I want to introduce a few concepts here. What is actually darkness and what is actually light, right? And, and I think sometimes we, we take light for granted. And I, of course, at the same time, we take night. We take darkness for granted as well. And I, I have a, a cool analogy. And, and before I move on, I want to say this is not my story because I could never be a personal voice in this story. But I stole the story from my sister-in-law. Uh, so she recently went uh, with a group of friends to dining in the dark, all right? So I want to show hands and help me here. If you have been an experienced personally dining in the dark, could you raise your hands? You have, you have been. Oh, that's not too bad. That's about 40, 50 of you. All right, not too bad. All right, so this is her story. And when she recounts the story for me, I can't help but think about darkness to light. And I tell you what, I tell you what, I could never do dining in the dark personally. All right, and I think my wife is adventurous. My wife uh, wants a romantic evening. I said I could do a lot of things for you, just not dining in the dark. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. So, so dining in the dark is where you go to dine in a restaurant. I think it's dinner. All right, dinner, you go for dinner, and the whole restaurant is pitch black. So they seal, there is not even a light at the corner, you cannot even see the gloss sign, right? There's no small candle at the corner, it's pitch black. It's absolutely pitch black. So as you enter the restaurant, uh, you are led uh, to your table, and you sit down and you eat, right? And, the, and also I hear the best part is that you have no clue what you're eating. So they don't tell you, they surprise you with the cuisine. They surprise you with the food that you're supposed to consume. And then, of course, the part of the fun, the part of the experience is you need to guess. So at the, guess what food you're eating, right? So at the end of uh, uh, your dining experience, they will always give you the menu and say, by the way, you had fish, or you had chicken, or you had pork. And then you're supposed to get and with whatever sauce, uh, a marinara sauce, or whatever sauce that comes with it, right? So you're supposed to guess. And then the fun part is whether you guessed it right or whether you guessed it wrong. Is that okay? So before I move on with the story, I would like to caveat it a little bit. I personally have nothing against dining in the dark, all right? It's a good business uh, concept. I, I hear good things about it, and I, honestly, I encourage you to go and experience it. So this story is just merely my illustration of my sermon today. Is that okay? So I have nothing against dining in the dark. But I tell you why I cannot go for dining in the dark. It's because I must, I always must know what I'm eating. Do you resonate with me? I have to know 
what I'm eating. Like, I cannot, I cannot not know what I'm eating. Let me tell you a real story. So even just now, uh, during tea break, right, um, uh, 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 some friends of mine, they brought me um, tea in between the services. I, I really thank, I appreciate it so much, but there was, out of all the array, there was a bun, right? And in the bun, I looked at it, I was like, what's in it? And, and they said, I don't know what's in it. I'm like, well, I, I can't eat it if I don't know what's in it, right? <laughs> That's me, that's me. Like, there's a problem. I know, I'm praying about it, right? I'm asking for a breakthrough, but I don't know why. That's just this funny thing that I have in my life. But in, in this whole dining of the dark experience, you know, I picked up a few things. So when you enter the restaurant, um, what they do is they tell you everything is pitch black and everything, respect uh, the waiters, so on and so forth. Your food is a surprise, and, and, and you have to be led to your table. So if, let's just say you're dining with a group of four, right? So you have to hold, link arms or hold shoulders, and the person in front will lead you to your table because you, you have no idea where you're seated, right? And when you get to the table, you have to find your seat, all right? And then, of course, again, me being me, I need to know, is it a, is it a plastic chair, wooden chair, cushioned chair, right? So like, I'm, I'm one of those guys that when I see a, a sofa set, Right? It looks so nice. It looks soft. It looks plushy. I feel like I could sleep there forever. I feel like when I sit down, I would sink in into the niceness of the cushion. And then more often than not, I sit and it's so hard. Right? And it's, it's, it's a mismatch kind of expectation. So I always got to check and everything. You got to feel your way. Where's the fork? Where's the knife? Where's the plate? So on and so forth. But it got me thinking. It got me thinking. Like sometimes when we're in darkness, we have to trust the person we follow, don't you think? So if you're in that situation and you have no idea where you're going and you're, and you're holding on to the person in front of you, you've got to trust that the person in front of you know where he or she is going, know where to put you, know where to seat you, know where to, which table you are seated at. The, the person needs to know, right? The person cannot just walk off a cliff and then you just follow, right? So you need to know. And my question is this, how many of us know who we're following? How many of us know to whom we follow, to where we're going? Do you know the direction you have in your life? That's an interesting thought, but I want to move on. So when you eat, what I realized, what she told me was, at the end of the day, when she looked at the four-course menu and actually what the food was, she said, surprisingly enough, she got all the food wrong. She couldn't tell. Is it pork? Is it chicken? Is it fish? I don't know. Is it what sauce is this? Is it cauliflower? Is it broccoli? She doesn't know. And, and I thought that was such an interesting concept because why? Did you know that you taste with your eyes and your nose as well? Not just your tongue, not just your taste buds. You taste with your eyes and you taste with your nose. So you, if you smell the food and it smells good, for example, if you drive past a durian store, Right? You can, all, you can already smell, I have, some of you are like, oh, I'm smelling the aroma at 12.30, we're going right, uh, to eat some durian. And some of us, we're so good at it, we're so pro at it, we drive by, we can even tell this is durian kampong, all right? And then we drive by and say, this is busan king, right? And we drive by and we even know, we can identify the fruit by the smell. You don't believe me, for example? Can we taste with our eyes? I'm going to give you a type of food and you tell me if you could taste it in your mouth. Strawberries. Could you taste it? Do you know what strawberries taste like? Could you imagine it? Can you imagine red and you can see the seeds? Can you imagine what strawberry tastes like and the juices that flow and the very distinct smell of strawberries that permeates the room, and permeates the house? It's nice, right? I'm going to give you another type of food. Cameron Highland strawberries. 
Does it taste different? Did, it, did the strawberry suddenly change in flavors, change in taste? No, I'm nothing against Camera Highland strawberries, okay? All right, best with honey and sugar, right? Uh, 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 and then, of course, I just found out uh, 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 just a few months ago that actually Korea makes the best strawberries. That one strawberry is about this big, did you know, that it costs uh, USD 50 US dollars for one strawberry. So apparently it's the heaviest, it's the juiciest, it's the sweetest strawberry in the entire world. We taste with our eyes. And I think that is why sometimes I cannot do dining in the dark. You know why? You know, um, I don't like certain kind of food. And if you know me, I don't like mashed green peas. How many of you, you love mashed green peas? You know, you're like, oh, my wife is like, I, I, my, my, uh, my son says, so you're like, I like mashed green peas. Like, no, like, I like England, but nope, nope, this is where I do not agree with mashed green peas. Like, I cannot eat squid. I just, I don't know. Like, you want, you want to hear, this is, you want to hear a joke? All right, this is just a joke, a uh, uh, personal joke, all right? So don't take this seriously, it's a Bible joke. You know, I, my wife will always ask me, why don't you eat squid? And I would say, because the Bible told me so. She says, where? And she says, are you sure, where? And I would say, yes, in the Old Testament, it says, thou shalt cast the Leviathan into the sea. And, and to me, Leviathan looks like a squid, right? <laughs> so I'm like, nope, I'm not eating squid. That's a joke, all right? 100%, I guarantee you, a Leviathan in the Bible is not a squid. But I would never eat squid. You know, and, 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 and to my wife, that's the, that, you know, it's, mm, it's the best part. Like when we go to eat a banana leaf or nasi kanda, she would order a, a squid and it would come with all sorts of sauces and it would be so nice and it would land on my plate. And I always take it all and I would pass it to a plate, right? And she would always ask me, what are you, darling, what are you doing? That's the, that's the best part of the meal. You know, and I would always say, exactly, dear. That's why I'm giving the best to you. <laughs> Right, right. And some, it got me thinking. Sometimes when we're in the dark, do you not feel that your perception of reality distorts a little bit? When you can't see what you're doing, when you can't see where you're going, when you can't see where you, what you're eating, our perception of reality distorts a little bit. Let me give you an example. In the last five years, all of us have to wrestle with what is the truth, and what is fake news? Am I not right? What is the true news? What's fake news? And fake news is all over. This news is a little bit more fake. This, this news channel is a little bit more accurate, all right? Then they, and trust me, there's a scale between most liberal, most conservative, most center, and there's another scale of all news between most fake, most true, and most center, right? Past, past five years, we're dealing with all of this, all the WhatsApp forwards, then we have, always have to ask the person, true or not, right? What is it, true or not? In the last two years, Fake news have taken a deeper level called deep fake. How many of us know, we, you know what deep fake is, right? It's a computer simulated video uh, program that allows you to take a person's face just by a few snapshots of pictures, take a person's face, and then you can put a voice over that person and the computer would, would, would make it into the video. So you can make anybody in this world say anything you want, produce a video, and it would be, you know, truth to you. And that's deep fake. And sometimes in the last few years, we're struggling to even know what is real and what is false. Am I not right? And some of us were so caught up. It could be us or it could be a friend. It could be a loved one. We're so caught up in our own version of reality. We believe what we want to believe that sometimes when the truth hits us in the face or somebody tells you that is not true, this is the truth, what do we do? We reject the truth. We say, no, no, you are wrong, I am right. 
And if we go to another extreme, instead of just rejecting the truth, we start to get offended and we start to, to, to you know, to, to argue with the person. No, 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 you are wrong and I'm, I will have another five-hour debate about this, A or is it B, right? Perception of reality, darkness. And maybe the last idea from this story that I glean is after you have finished the cuisine and you have to walk out of the restaurant, light hits your eyes because you're, you're entering light again. It hits your eyes. And how many of us experience and you know, right, that at, at, that at uh, 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 six in the morning when it's really, really dark and you turn on the light for the first time, it hits your eyes and it's a little painful, it's a little glaring, it's a little, it's agitating to you, right? How many of us, you know, we'll, we'll try to adjust and we'll try to shun the light a little bit, uh, but after a while, our sight will adjust and then we can see again, right? Some of us will go, oh, this is too bright, it's six in the morning, it's too early, turn off the light, please, I want to sleep. We're comfortable in our darkness. We're comfortable where we are. You know, uh, 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 my sons, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying so hard that they wake up later than 6 a.m., okay? That's one of my prayer requests. It's on my list. I says, God, could you please help my son wake up at 6.30 today? 6.30. My wife always says, is this a, it's an invalid prayer request? I'm like, no, it's valid. It's valid for me, all right? Um, I, I can't. But we wake up at 6 a.m., I will always uh, take them out. But I tell you what, in the darkness of 6 a.m., when they call out to me, you know, it's not Dada, it's not Daddy, it's Daddy, all right? That's how they, it's Daddy, Daddy. And then uh, they call to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to them. And sometimes when we're too tired to clean the house, there'll always be bits and pieces of Legos on the floor, right? But because you can't see, you can't see, so you step on them and you go, ow, it's painful, right? But you, then you remember uh, uh, that your child is there, you can't swear, you can't be unchristian, so you've got to be Christian about it, right? Ow, great is our God. Oh, son, sing with me, how great, right? You've got to be Christian. Ow. But it's painful, and sometimes I, I, I honestly find myself in the dark. I, I, I do like this. I, I'm not advocating Tai Chi, but we do this. I walk like this and I try to find my way around, I don't step on the toes, uh, the Legos, and I try to push, and then I, I, I said, son, where are you, where are you? He'll call me, okay, you're not here, you're there, right? It's dark, but that's my point. Sometimes we're all too comfortable where we are. We're too comfortable in the darkness that we don't want to move, that when the light shines, we shun the light. Now, of course, you ask me now, Pastor, what, is, what has this got to do with Resurrection Sunday? What has it got to do with Good Friday? You know, I draw inspiration from from a resurrection story. Mark chapter 15, 33 to 34, it says, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the land, the whole land, until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The key word here, my first point, darkness, came over the whole land. You see, God, you see, Jesus Christ was fully man, and He experienced physical darkness, but also He's fully God. There is a, a complete, 100% divinity in this guy called Jesus Christ. So He's fully man, fully God, and there's only going to be one in the entire eternity of time that is Jesus Christ, that is fully man and fully God. So when He died, there was darkness over the whole land, and now that's physical darkness. Now, sometimes we don't, we, we ask, okay, but I can turn on the light, right? The sun will shine at 6.30 in the morning. There will be a sunrise. But the darkness over the land 
has a greater symbolism than just physical darkness. There's something called spiritual darkness. And because he's fully divine, I truly believe that the whole earth experienced spiritual darkness just for a little while. The whole spiritual darkness was focused on Jesus Christ, and that's why he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God is a pure God. How can something pure mix with something impure? God is a holy God. How can something holy mix with something unholy? So when the sins of yours and the sins of mine were placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and when he died and he took it on that cross, he experienced spiritual separation from God, spiritual darkness. Do we experience spiritual darkness sometimes? And sometimes it's hard for us to even admit it. Like, who would want to admit I'm spiritually in darkness? Who admits that? It's hard for us to admit. But let me draw it this way. Maybe for the last two years or three years, or maybe even 2022, it's already been about three and a half months, right? We experience a struggle and there is a fight. Not a physical fight, I hope, but an invisible fight with something, a force and an influence out there that is trying to get a hold of us. For example, right? There is, a, there is a point of time where we go to work, and we love to go to work, and then we send our, our kids to school, and we say, hallelujah, thank you for the schools. Jesus' name, hallelujah, we bless the teachers, right? By the way, if you're a teacher in this place, bless your souls, okay? Honestly, from a part of a parent, bless your souls, all right? Uh, we, we come back home, and then we have a lovely dinner, but the lockdown changed all that. And now from the stress of work and the stress of school all gets plunged into a 1,000 square feet condo. And our stress gets put on our families. And we, we can't yell at our colleagues or our bosses, right, because we still need our jobs. So what we do is we yell at our families, we yell at our spouses, and we yell at our kids. There is this struggle to just maintain peace in the home. There is this struggle to maintain peace in, in, in your workplace, which is at home. Don't you, am I the only one who experienced this fight? this invisible fight and this invisible struggle? For example, there is a real and, and, and present fear over the last two years. Even this year, there is a fear. Fear of what? There is a greater heightened fear of sickness and a greater heightened fear of death in the entire world, right? So much so that, that, that before COVID, we were like, oh man, I don't want to be locked in my house. Don't lock me in, don't lock me in. All right, then once COVID is lifted, we're so comfortable after two years working from home. And then when we say, you got to work in the office, we go, oh man, don't lock me out. Don't lock me out. Please lock me in. I want to stay at home. I'm so comfortable, right? Uh, there's so much, there's a fear of death so much so, so much so that after two years, we subconsciously find ourselves translating it to a fear of people, right? For example, you got to work. Finally, the lockdown's over. You step out of the house. There is an invisible boundary. You, you find yourself crossing the boundary and you say, hallelujah, I'm still alive. After I cross the boundary of my own home, right? Then you go to work and oh man, I tell you, how dare, how dare this colleague of yours sneeze in your presence. <laughs> oh, how dare, oh, how dare, in the name of Jesus, how dare this person sneeze in my presence. You know, pre-COVID, when somebody sneezes, what do we say? Bless you. We go, do you need a tissue? Is it, is it allergies? Are you sick? Do you need to go home? Are you, are you, are you okay? Do you, need, do you need a drink? Honey, lemon? Can I get one for you? But now after COVID, when the guy sneezes in your presence, ah, holy water, you know, Jesus Christ, stay away from me. You pray, you cover yourself, and then you sanitize, all right? There's a, 
there's hand sanitizer, spray sanitizer, and you, it just, there's a fear of people everywhere around. Last time, I remember in the lifts, we were packing people in. We're like, the lift is still open, we can fit one more, just one more. The noise, the alarm has not rang, just one more, come in, we can pack like sardines. Okay, we're, we're all right. But now these days, if you fit more than four people in the lift, show Kuriyana, get out, you know, please, 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 you know, like, do you not understand? Times have changed. There is a, a real struggle against reality now these days. And subconsciously, when we we don't realize it that we just give in to the struggle. Why? Because I tell you this, that there is a war. There is a fight, a real fight. Not in the physical, but there is a fight in the heavenlies. There's a fight in the spiritual. A fight for what? A fight for your souls. There is a fight. If the, pers- if the enemy cannot kill you in real life, the enemy will kill you in your soul. The enemy will destroy every living hope, every living love, every living joy that you have in your heart. The enemy will rob it and the enemy will steal it. There is a war going on. And the only question you need to ask yourself is, who do you let win? Who do you follow in this war? And sometimes when we're so caught up in the bloody fight of war, that we see the ugliness of sin on our lives. We see the wrongs of sin on our lives, right? We see, oh, we're so guilty, we're, we're so ashamed, you know, we let our stress get into our, our conflict of our home and then we start yelling at everybody and then profanities start coming out and everything starts going haywire. And, and then that night when you sleep, you feel so guilty. And if it happens once, if it happens twice, if it happens three times, four times, over the course of two years, we find ourselves secluding ourselves into our own personal tomb and we close the door. And we say, you know what? I don't want to see my ugliness anymore. I'd rather turn off the light so I no longer need to see the stains that I have on my shirt or on my body. I draw inspiration from Mark chapter 15, verse 48. See, it says here, so Joseph brought, bought some linen cloth, took down the body, the body of Jesus, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. You see, Jesus Christ died a physical death. He died a physical death, and he needed to be buried in the tomb. And sometimes, some of us, we may not have died a physical death. No, 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 no. We're all alive. We're breathing and well. But we don't realize that we have died a spiritual death, that we're stuck in that tomb. We can't get out. It's full of darkness. We're, We're stuck. And we close the door. And we've said to ourselves, long and hard, I don't want to see the light. It's the light sh- I shun the light because I, all I see is the ugliness of my sin. All I see is the ugliness of my guilt and the shame that I bear. And if you are in that position, and only you would know that position you're in, the enemy wins because he has closed the tombstone on your life. Do you know there is a... Praise the Lord for this wonderful SIBKL family, the Poon family. They experience something of darkness and they truly experience something of light. And I, I think that they are so blessed to share this story for every one of us. So I invite you to just keep your eyes on the video as we play the testimony.
JJ and Jim, when they grew up together, when they are young, they are very good. We, we actually spent a lot of our younger days together playing. What I know, I really remember about him was, he was always looking out for me. But then we went our separate ways. He went to New Zealand, I was in UK, my sister was in US, so he went to uni. What we noticed um, about Jin, he was doing a lot of things that were not like him. His language became very bad. He wasn't nice to look at, like, look very haggard, very tired, very stressed, very dirty looking, very smelly. He behaved very odd in public, erratic behaviour, um, loud, obnoxious. So he was talking a lot to, and to many people, but there's nobody around except for me. He started to speak Bahasa Indonesia fluently and he was saying that he has got a wife, his kids are in the toilet and he can see just a lot of things going on. I remember we sat at the dining table and he kept looking back towards the staircase and saying that there's somebody there, there's someone there. I said, Jin, there's nobody here. Then he says, no, there's children in my room. I can see them. He would say that he's hungry, but every time we give him food, right, his jaw would lock. Mm, wouldn't allow it to close. close. He cannot chew his food. But once you remove the food from his mouth, his mouth closes. I managed to get uh, Pastor Gilbert's help to come and pray for Jin as well. And Pastor Gilbert pulled me aside and said that you need to get your brother to the hospital now. During the time he was in the hospital, the doctors uh, tried to get him to be still. He was all tied up, struggling and fighting. Then she gave him an epidural to, to paralyze his lower body so he wouldn't struggle so much. But all that didn't work. The, their last resort was to put him into a clinical coma. After they managed to get a clear image of his MRI, um, the doctor showed me the picture that there were lacerations on a certain part of his brain. Because of that damage, doctor says that he will always be like that. His, his eyes and his mouth and his hand gestures will not be able to coordinate. The psychiatric doctors pulled me aside and said that not everything can be explained medically. The crushing part that came to us was that the doctor told me that your brother may need to be committed to a mental asylum permanently. It was next level um, bad news. If my son were to die, I just moan for a few days. If my son go into the insane hospital, then I have to suffer all my life. That was when I felt crushed. I felt hopeless. We realised that there's nothing we can do but to focus on God. That's where um, it was the first time that the family actually sat together to pray. First time I heard my dad pray, first time my mom prayed freely in front of me. I just asked God to help heal him, clear his mind, so that he can continue to live life again. Yeah. I pray so freely in the hospital, just loudly, I just pray over him. We need to find hope, you know, in our whole situation at that time and the only way we can do that is through worship 
And when we worship, we put aside our issues, we put aside our problems, we put aside whatever that we are facing, whether with our own family, with Jean, and we just focus on God and say, you know, God, you are great. God, you are good. God, we know you are here. I was also very encouraged to, to push in deeper, to push in harder. As we pushed in and as we prayed, the phone call came when the, the nurse on the other side said, come and take your brother back. When I went to pick him up, he was having a normal conversation with me. Every day from that time, I would dare say he recovered 100%. Jin told me this, if this is hell, I do not work, I do not wish it on my worst enemies. We saw the changes in, in Jin, a total transformation in his behaviour. I feel God has saved him, picked him up from the deepest pit and gave him a new lease of life. I felt that God wasn't merely holding my hand. He was literally carrying me through this period. He allowed me to, to be able to take this experience and share with people that you know, the spiritual battles are real. I'm not afraid, I'm not shy to talk about God anymore. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for such a wonderful testimony. Thank you to the Poon family for sharing your uh, months of experience with, with all of us. But you know, you know, sometimes I feel that we, we don't understand what it means to be in the tomb. Sometimes we're in self-denial. And that's okay. That's like human nature to preserve ourselves. Sometimes we don't know what it means. So I think for the next one or two minutes, I want us to experience what it means like to be in a tomb where we have total darkness. Total darkness. Where some of us, some of us here, we feel stuck in that tomb. Where is the door? We, we can't see the door. Where is the exit? Where is the light? Where is the hope at the end of the tunnel? Some of us were going through a family crisis a work crisis. Maybe you're going through a personal deep struggle that nobody knows, that, that you don't even dare to tell anybody because you're so consumed by the ugliness that is you're experiencing inside. And you know, in this darkness, I really like what Jin sh shared. He said, if this is hell, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But here's the good news. But... There is a but in your story. But on the third day, when Jesus was buried in the tomb for three days, but on the third day, the tombstone rolled open and Jesus walked out alive again. And when he walked out in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whosoever will follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus says you've got to follow Him. 
To whom do you follow? Is the question I, the first question I ask. To whom do you follow? And he says, if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. But you're going to have to walk out of darkness. You're going to have to take that step of faith. And when you hear that call, he says, you're going to have to take that one step of faith and walk out of darkness because I can give you the light of life. Life here is Zoe life. It's sozo life. It's salvation. It's the fullness of life, the abundance of joy and love and hope inside your heart. You see, physical light gives birth to physical life on earth. But only spiritual light can give birth to spiritual life. You see, if you're caught in depression, you're caught in something, you don't even understand what you're caught in. You don't even understand that struggle you have. It's so hard to get out of it by yourself because darkness can never dispel darkness. You are in that darkness. But what do you do with darkness? You turn on the light. You invite the light of the world, Jesus Christ, into your life and He will illuminate the darkest regions and the hidden areas of your life. You know, I started with one question. Do you know where you're going in life? Do you know your direction? Do you know your purpose? Do you know your destiny? You know, for the last two years, I have been talking to countless young adults, a few, yeah, more than a few. What breaks my heart is that what the darkness of the world has stolen is their purpose of living, their purpose for working, purpose for cell group, purpose for church, purpose for all of this, all of life, purpose to even live. So many, so many guys, so many. And my heart pleads with you to say you're going to need to invite the light of the world into your life because the Word of God says that He will be a lamp onto your feet and He will show you exactly where you need to go and He will restore that hope you have in your heart. He will show you your purpose. He will give you your destiny and He will lead you one day at a time. You know, I asked the question in the beginning, uh, is your perception of reality a little distorted? Is your reality of your world a little shaken? And then God says, I am the truth and the life. You need the truth to come into your life, to tell you what is right and to tell you what is wrong. Sometimes we get caught up in too many conspiracy theories and God says, don't worry about it. Just come to the Word of God, the truth, and I will give you life once again. You know, the last one, it says, I asked the question, are you too comfortable in your darkness? Have you made your bed in darkness? Psalms 139. Have you made your bed in the deepest, darkest regions of your heart? And I, wanted, I need to invite you today. I don't just want, I need to invite you today to take a step of faith, to invite the light of the world back into your heart. You see, Resurrection Sunday is all about the dead coming to life. And I truly, truly sense that some of us here, we have killed a part of us. It has died. 
Some of us, our marriage has died in our hearts. We may not have signed the paper, but our marriage has died in our hearts. Some of us, we've lost hope in our children. We've totally lost hope. We've let them go. And it has died a part of Some of us have lost hope in our life. What is hope is there? You know, young parents, a lot of them say, I've lost hope in this country. That what country is there left for my children and my children's children? But here today, I tell you, because of Jesus Christ, because He rose from that grave, there is a resurrection power that lives inside of you and Jesus Christ can call the dry bones to come back to life. And Jesus Christ can call the deepest, darkest areas and regions of your life to come back to life and to live, and to live once again. You know, I can't tell all my story today. It's a short snippet of my story, 15, 20 years ago. If you talk to me when I was 18 to about 25, you would meet a young man who's lost complete direction, complete will to live, complete loss of any sort of ambitions in life, complete loss of the joy and the love and the brilliancy of this life. Until one night, after a long journey, I, in, a, in the middle of the night, I bent my knee in the dark, cold, crisp air of England. I bent my knee and I said, Jesus, I invite you in. I invite you in. You see, 1 Peter 2.9 says, God the Father called you. I believe He called me when I was 24. He calls you. He calls you to do what? He calls you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Do you know what the word called means? The word called here, we don't serve a God who is some part of the universe, some part of the galaxies out there, and He, he goes to all of us and He says, you, uh, you, uh, you come, la, you come, la, you don't want to come, up to you, la, up to whatever. La. That's not our God. We have a God, a, a heavenly Father out there who calls which means He knows each and every one of you by your name. Whether you're a girl, whether you're a guy, whether you're young or you're old, He breathed life into you. The Ruach of God lives within you. That image of God, the emotions, the love of God lives within you and He called you. He knew you by your name while you were in your mother's womb. And today He's calling you with arms wide open, the embrace of a father who says, My son, my daughter, will you invite me into your life? Because you are going to need the light of the world and I will journey with you. Jesus Christ will never let you go. You see, when I invited the light of the world into my life, He transformed a young man with no will to live to me. I'm here today. He transformed a young man with no direction, no purpose in life who is willing to give up everything to where I am today. And if you ask me, what is your purpose and your calling in life? At the age of 38, I guarantee you, my answer will always be the same. My call and my purpose in life is to serve the Lord God Almighty and to open up the Bible. And my love in life is to take the Word of God and to preach it, to live it, to teach it, and to speak it out. That is my purpose. I'm found in Him. 
And He's offering the same to you. He's offering the same to every one of you. And I just invite everybody to close your eyes. I believe today God calls you. I truly believe today that there is a whisper and a tugging in your heart right now because you know you need Jesus Christ. You know you've been far away. And there's a first group of people that you've, if you never know Jesus, if you have never invited Him into your life, He's calling you today to say, can I please come in? Because I want to come in. And there's another group you're Christians, you know Him, but you have been far. You may have been lost in your darkness, whatever your darkness is, and today Jesus is saying, will you let me in once again? Because my light will shine in the darkest recesses of your heart. Will you let me in once again? So I'm going to count to three, and could you raise your hands to the King of Kings and say, Jesus, I want to let you in. One, two, Three, could you raise your hands up high? Could you raise, I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see your hand, I see your hand, thank you. Up on the balcony, I see your hand, I see your hand, thank you. Hallelujah, thank you, sir, thank you, thank you, sir. I see your hand, I thank you, ma'am, I see your hand, thank you, ma'am, thank you, ma'am. I see your hand, I see your hand. I'm gonna linger another 10 or 15 seconds. If you feel a beating in your heart, if you feel like there is a whisper of your name and you want to invite the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings to come into your heart, this is your chance. You raise your hands and keep it up high. Keep it up high. A leader or a pastor of the church, they love you. Trust me, they love you. They will tap you on the shoulder and they will invite you up front because we want to pray for you and we want to get your details so that we will not lose touch of you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So for all those hands up high, leaders and pastors, could you just invite the person up front, all to my left, up front, and we would love to connect with you. We would love to pray for you. There is another call in this house. I'm gonna make another call, and with this, I actually invite everybody to stand. Is that okay? Can everybody stand in this place? While the music will play very, very softly. The ushers and the pastors will remove the, 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 the chairs up front, but I wanna make a call. If you need prayer, if you are struggling with something in your family, if you are struggling with your finance, if you are struggling with a personal darkness, if you are struggling and you need help and you're crying out for help, today is the day where we want to pray for you. And we want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to illuminate every single part of your life. This is a call for you to come on forward and the leaders and the pastors will pray for you. You know, yesterday as I was praying for Sunday, I got a premonition and I got a hunch. Or more like, I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And it says, there's some of you here, whether on site or online, that you've been having nightmares. Nightmares. There's a few categories of nightmares. You, some of you, you feel like somebody is always chasing you. That you feel so much pressure. Somebody's always chasing you. And there's another category of nightmares, whether real or literal or figurative, that you feel like somebody wants to destroy you and you cannot run away, you're stuck. The call is for you to come on forward and we would like to pray for you. You cannot sleep at night 
we would like to pray for you. So the altar is open right now. The chairs will be stacked back. I invite you to come on forward and leaders and pastors, we would love to pray for you. We want your breakthrough. We will pray for a resurrection in your life. We will pray for a restoration in your life. We will pray for an illumination in your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, that you died on that cross so that we can be forgiven, washed white as snow. Thank you, Father God, that you rose from the dead. You walked out from that tomb so that all of us here, we can experience the power of the resurrection so that Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world will be in our hearts to illuminate every single part, every single part, God. We give you our whole heart. We consecrate our whole heart and our whole lives onto you. We thank you, Jesus. So Father God, Separate us now with the love of the Father, the grace and the mercy of the Son, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May your face shine upon us, and may you watch our going in and our going out. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we all say, Amen. 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 Amen.